Welcome to the Smug Film Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Clark. With me today is Jenna Ipkar. Hello. And live via Skype, John D'Amico. Yo. So why aren't you here today, John? Whole bunch of biz to take care of in Jersey, you know. And somebody left their phone in my car last night, so I had to wait for them to come to pick it up. A lot going on. So you're a good Samaritan. Yeah. And, you know, I was doing some some editing, and I had a meeting with my... uh, a phone meeting with like my color grader today. Oh yeah, you, you just got back some of your uh, your color and your audio, right? For Green Brothers. Yes, I can also tell you now that Green Brothers has one thousand four hundred and fifty eight shots. Nice. So that's a fun fact for everybody. Nice. Because the the colorist just did like the first pass of everything. So good Green Brothers have, trivia. Yeah. So the movie's all in green now. Oh my God! Somebody that we interviewed for a certain camera type job suggested that when they read the title they were like so do you want to do it all with like green filters <laughs> and i was like well no and they were like yeah but the title is green and i was like yeah but i mean that's okay it doesn't have to all be green it's okay it's fine it can just be normal colors it should be normal colors yeah all right we got a voicemail here we're we're sort of wrapping up the uh, the halloween themed episodes we got Two voicemails this episode. We're going to do one now and one later on. Both uh, horror-themed voicemails. A little spookiness for us to uh, comment on and answer. So uh, I'm going to play that first one right now. Hello, my name is Caroline. I'm from Edmonton, Alberta. I have a question for the Smug Film Podcast. My question is, what is the earliest film that uh, genuinely scares you? All right. Thank you, Caroline, from... uh, Canada overseas the uh, across the pond up up north right <laughs> all right so first film earliest film that scares us so is this the one that we saw first or like the earliest chronologically i want i want to hear you your know? earliest chronologically pick did that uh, train coming through the station scare you <laughs> no no <laughs> edison's your favorite horror filmmaker right no but um one who's probably up there is um, Carl Dreyer, who did a whole bunch of movies that like aren't really horror, but are super creepy, including ah, yes. Joan of Arc. Mm. But he did one true horror movie in 32 called Vampire. Right. Uh, that the first, the first time I saw it, it was, um, now it's in the Criterion Collection and it's like taken care of, but it used to just be like this really like muddy, creepy, hissing, you know, like two in the morning type of movie. The subtitles are like these big black things that took up like a quarter of the screen. And it just like didn't look like anything else. Yeah, that can really add to the experience. Yeah. So I remember the night before Halloween, like 2006, it was on TV at like 2 a.m. And I was crowded around this little like 12 inch TV with a couple of my friends watching it. And it was just, it's, it's still an incredibly creepy movie. It has this feel where it's like, it, it just feels off. His thesis with it was that he wanted to do a movie where if you had the experience of like sitting in a room in front of a chest and then somebody told you there was a dead body in the chest, he wanted to like recreate that feeling. Wow. The feeling where like nothing changed, but it feels totally different. Mm. I think he pulled it off. It's super creepy. It's a very creepy movie. There are earlier ones that um, I like a lot, earlier horror movies, but that's the first one that like, that one I think is to this day, very unsettling. Right on. So how about earliest childhood memory of a horror? I don't have childhood memories. No? <laughs> you were born grown up? Yeah. No, I really don't remember like earliest. I, I think I was too young to pay attention. The one that sticks out is Wizard of Oz. Oh, all right. I don't know that it was the earliest, but when I was young, Wizard of Oz freaked me the fuck out. That's a weird one. That is a that is a unsettling movie if you're... Uh, you know, unprepared for it, I guess. Yeah, it's a lot freakier than people give it credit for. Well, I remember there's that bit near the end where she's like walking down the yellow brick road. I almost called it the street. <laughs> when she's walking down the yellow brick road and the um, witch just like apparates in front of her and yells at her and then like sets the scarecrow on fire and disappears. Yeah. And I remember that bugged me out because then like I had it in my head that she could just do that the whole time. You know, like this realization when you're little that like the whole time Dorothy's walking and, and they're having all these ha- happy little things happen or whatever. Like she's really not safe. I remember that like very distinctly just feeling like she was unsafe in that movie. Yeah, that could have been like a five minute long movie. 
Could have been well, just a so, witch showing up and setting fire to her friends, and that's the end of the film. Jesus. Yeah. Would that be your version? Well, yeah. I mean, it, it seems like in the current version, the witch shows an incredible amount of restraint over her <laughs> her powers. In my version, I think the witch would uh, sort of let loose. What's this is like how here? my Superman movie would be five minutes long. Oh, yeah? Yeah, the bad guys would show up and Superman would just win. <laughs> And then everybody would go about their business. Yeah. Nice long uh, end credit sequence. The rest yeah, of the movie should just be him like editing a news article. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like sitting in, in pitch meetings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like most people don't even know. Most people didn't even notice it happened. Yeah. Superman <laughs> getting knows. notes on his uh, journalistic uh, <laughs> pieces. Yeah. And like darting off to space to like throw an asteroid out of the way. It's <laughs> coming back down. You're getting reamed by HR. Yeah. That would be good. So, Jenna, how about earliest uh, creepy, scary horror experience? I think if I want to be really truthful, like it would be like Ursula from The Little Mermaid. Dude, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Of which oh, my, yeah, that's my a good parents love to remind me that once I was in McDonald's as a child and they had Little Mermaid toys and I was really excited and I got my toy and I pulled it out and apparently my face just fell ah. and I had an Ursula toy and I turned to my dad and I said, I don't like an octopus. <laughs> <laughs> she was hot when she turned uh, cute. <laughs> I like turned cute. Yeah. Remember when she posed as like, uh, I don't know if it was that she posed as the little mermaid or she posed as like the little mermaids, like hotter. Uh, Another little mermaid. Yeah, when she steals her voice, right? Yeah. And she, but she had like darker hair. Remember? No, I don't remember that, but Dude, I she, think she gets prettier when, when she steals the voice and then she's like She steals the voice and she <laughs> she gets hot as fuck. Hold on, I gotta Google hot Ursula. <laughs> You're gonna get so much weird stuff. It's just gonna come back like Ursula Andrews or something. Her voice is great. I, who then what's that voice actor? She's she's great. She's solid. Pat she's in Carol. a bunch of stuff. There you go. I know that because I'm Googling it right now. <laughs> oh wow, she was hot. Right? She was way hotter than, than Ariel. Yeah. She used her body language. Ha! <laughs> Man, I didn't remember any of this. Yeah, Vanessa rules. Yeah, she does. I remember when I was a kid, I went to a... Um, I guess I do remember being a kid. There you I go. I went to like a party, like my friend's birthday party when I was like four or five or whatever. And he had a guy come in character as Captain Hook. And like everybody was all excited and they're like taking pictures with Captain Hook and everything. But I was sitting there and I was like, well, that's a bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> he can't be here. No, he, he can't be allowed that, you in know, the premises. That, you were that age that you like really believed it was that person. Yeah. So I remember like pulling like one of the adults aside and being like, that's, that's a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy like tried to call me over to get like a picture taken with him. I was like, no, no way. And that's why you're alive and all those kids are dead. That's right. Yes. That's exactly what happened. They're off in Neverland toiling on his ship and yeah. you're, you're safe here. In the phantom zone. Besides that, what I do remember ruining my life as a child was Communion, the, the movie Communion oh God, yeah. with Christopher Ooh, yeah. Walken was on TV. And that scene, now it's terrible because they have like these little aliens. It's about Christopher Walken getting abducted and then like remembering it and then yeah. dealing with it. And they have these aliens like that will peer like behind because he was always getting abducted in his bed, mm. like at night, you know, like he felt real safe, tucked in. And then these aliens would like peer across the door and then they would like run in really quick. And it scared the bejesus yeah, the out of me. Yeah, the cinematography in that movie is really smoke, underrated. Really creep, really moody. And then the, the one I thing that... I can picture that, that shot exactly. Oh, yeah. Still. Yeah. Close up with half the door and uh -huh. half the face. And peeking and from like behind the dresser. Yeah. But the one thing that scared the crap out of me is when that door is half open and then this like children's toy floats in and it's like it has some kind of like swirly thing. It looks like a wind up toy. Mm-hmm. But it's bigger and it's like from the aliens and it like it it's like a wind up toy like riding a bike or something. It it's like really creepy and it just like floats in and it looks like super like happy, scary clown toy thing. That like ruined my life. Yeah. Like I could even deal with the aliens, but seeing that thing like slowly float into the room while he's like paralyzed in bed, ugh, that still scares me. Did you ever see fire in the sky? I actually, you know what? I have it and I haven't watched it. Someone, a friend of mine, because I was talking to him about communion, he burned fire in the sky for me and I just haven't watched it. Let me it. get yeah, that. I haven't like seen it yet either. Yeah. Exactly. I think it might it's, be on um, YouTube. Not terribly legally, but. 
it's it's another one like communion where watching it now you just want it to be the like abduction scenes because the rest of it you don't care about oh i care about all of communion really i only only like the abduction scenes in both of them but fire in the sky man they go they go ham in fire in the sky because mm. they they'll like it's not just about him being stolen out of his bed or whatever you just like watch him in the alien spaceship while they're poking and prodding at him and that stuff is like bananas yeah. Yeah. i don't even want to like spoil any of the imagery but like it's it's nuts i miss aliens me too. That was like a real 90s that, thing. You, you'd see that alien head everywhere, like on decals, yeah. like stuck on whatever. That in spontaneous human combustion. Yeah. Whatever happened <laughs> to people just exploding. That was a big thing in the 90s. Now it's like a joke in like a sketch comedy thing. Like it'll just be like a joke ending to something. I remember they really? did that on SNL like last year. It was like, oh, everybody just explodes. <laughs> and it's like, no, it's not funny. It happened in the <laughs> 90s and then it didn't happen. And it was probably bullshit. It's no laughing matter, guys. Unsolved <laughs> mysteries in the 90s. Oh, God. Scared the crap out of me half the time. And yeah, X-Files. Dude. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to go into for my own stuff was that a lot of what scared me was like stuff that was on TV that was just unsettling as fuck. <laughs> like uh, less, less so movies, because when I was young, you know, my parents just wouldn't show me like the really scary movies because they didn't want to have to get no sleep with me coming in there and being like, can I sleep with you guys or this, that, and the other. So a lot of the stuff I would see would just be shit I'd see accidentally on the TV. Or I have distinct memories of like being in the next room over and like listening like to the door when like either my sister or my parents were watching like a, a horror movie or something. Like I remember, I remember hearing my sister watch Candyman. And being so fucking scared of Candyman because all I knew of it was like the cover of it and then the the sound of Candyman. Because like Candyman he, really looms over your life, huh? Oh god, yeah. And I I adore that movie. And but his voice in particular, like hearing his voice coming out of a VHS tape on like small TV speakers, it still had this like huge booming quality. And it, it's a scary, scary voice. And uh, I remember that distinctly. I remember because my parents and my sister would watch X-Files all the time. And I was still like, I guess, a little young for X-Files when it was airing. So I would see, but I would catch like glimpses of it. Like if I didn't go to sleep right away, like maybe they'd be watching it and I'd come back in and I'd see some like weird monster on the screen. That and like the uh, the Outer Limits remake, uh, that yeah. series. And also stuff like Unsolved Mysteries, and beyond belief, fact or fiction, like there would just be like little glimpses of unsettling things that I would catch by not going to sleep right on time, you know? X-Files, I used to actively watch with my mom because she liked it so much, but then I would cry through it. Yeah, I bet. And But I did, Mulder was my first television crush, so. You know what really scared me too was, um, I remember very distinctly, it must have been fourth or fifth grade, whenever it was that uh, the movie Seven not came out but was on pay-per-view because i had this friend named ralph that would have been like 96. yeah i had this friend named ralph who his family had like the black box so they had like all the pay-per-views all like the spice channel playboy etc and he used to tell me about like crazy shit he would see i remember he told me about uh seven like he was describing like the crazy shit that he saw in, in seven like all the horrible like horrific death scenes and like it just him telling me it like scared the shit out of me. So I had this like idea of that movie that was like it was the most horrible, horrific, like horror movie imaginable. That was always scarier, but when you like kind of knew something was out there, so you had to make it up in your head. Mm-hmm. Those yeah. were always the ones that got me. Yeah, seven loomed over me as a child. Yeah, just the idea of seven, that was enough for me as a as a youth. I remember I saw Jurassic Park three times in theaters and then had I think the the worst nightmare I've ever had based on Jurassic Park. Really? Which is, it scared me watching it, but I liked it so much clearly that I went like, you know, two other times and then bought the VHS and watched that to death. But that, I definitely have this very clear, that's like, I can still remember that entire nightmare. It was really horrible. I don't think that ever scared me. I don't remember it scaring me, at least Jurassic Park. I also, I guess probably the silliest thing that scared me as a kid was I remember being scared by the the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror episodes. Oh, those are creepy. Like, I, <laughs> I loved them as a kid. And I, I was, I mean, Simpsons was my first favorite TV show, I guess. Like, I used to watch, 
My parents yeah. would tape them, and I used to watch episodes over and over and over and over. But like the Treehouse of Horror ones, it's like, yeah, I know it's a cartoon. I know it's like fake and stuff, but something about it. Like I remember having nightmares from it and being scared by it, man. And also Alf, dude. I was afraid <laughs> of Alf. I was like deathly afraid of Alf. And That's because my- you had cats. It makes sense. <laughs> That's I a very good point. When, when Men in Black came out, I had got it in my head. I forget why. Somebody told me. But I had it in my head that it was going to be like very scary. Hmm. So I remember... My dad and me were going to see Men in Black, and I must have been, I guess I was nine at the time, and I was like trying to talk him out of it on the way, or I guess I would have been eight because it was a summer movie. So like, I remember trying to talk him out of it on the drive there because like, I thought it was going to be really scary. Yeah, it's got one of those titles where it could go either way. My sister- Yeah, I forget why, but something put it in my head that it was going to be. My sister was terrified of E.T. when he turns white. Well, that's scary, yeah. At the end of E.T., there's like a whole substrata of humankind of people who are scared of E.T. I feel like you get like 50% scared of E.T. I'm like not scared of him, but to this day, he just looks like a weird like burn victim and it just disturbs me. <laughs> he is really I was like E.T. unsettling, except that movie is so charming. I like the first third of it. I think he's a fine little guy. Why that? <laughs> I don't know. With the rest of it. I like the way it starts out and then I lose interest. Every time I try and watch it, I'm like, I'm on board, and then I'm like, eh, I don't care anymore. I really like E.T. Whenever I watch E.T., I just want to watch Encino Man. Because it's the same movie, but Encino Man's awesome. E.T. is one of those ones that I feel like it has gotten like weirdly underrated. Yeah, that, was, that used so, to like, be huge, man. All you hear about, yeah, and now all you hear about it is people talking about how they didn't like E.T. because they thought he was scary. Or like, you know, like you, you just, you rarely hear it brought up in a positive light anymore. I was just never big into the design. I just went on the E.T. ride at Disney World a couple weeks ago. Oh, yeah? And that was fucking great. The what, best part is... scary? Uh, well, yeah, because the police are chasing you, and then you got to f- fly away. That's scary. <laughs> but in the end, he goes, you, you give him your name when you walk in, and then they play this video of Steven Spielberg from, like, that's clearly from, like, when they made E.T. It's <laughs> like they, like, transferred the VHS. Nice. And he's like, hi, well, I'm Steven Spielberg. Welcome to the world of E.T., but in the end, anyhow, they give you your name and then you give them the card right when you go on the ride. So it's meant to be time. So when you leave, there's an ET and he goes, goodbye, Jenna. Jenna. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like a really deep voice. Yeah. Goodbye. That's awesome. Cody. It's like that that Simpsons where uh, Lisa gets the letter from like the little girl that's her pen pal, but it, the uh, country got taken over. <laughs> and so it's like. <laughs> it was like one of the military guys like writing it back sincerely little girl <laughs> nobody nobody remembers that that's I, I appreciate this one of my favorite moments in the entire show i appreciate it dig it up on youtube guys that made me think was the simpsons were there uh with um the cool dog <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> i must go back to my planet now <laughs> poochie 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 there we go anyhow et's great guy he told me goodbye he said, thank you, Jenna. Was He's a, good, a nice little man. Was it a good ride? <laughs> it's a great ride. I yeah. love... You know what? Here's great. what's great about Disney World, and then we can stop talking about Disney World. Is I've that, never been. I've never been to either Disney theme parks. I like Disney because they all their new, they still have animatronics, and it looks so much better because I went to Universal because I had to go to Harry Potter World, which was amazing. But um, <laughs> the newer Harry Potter rides are like, you know, you sit in a thing and you put on 3D glasses. Oh, so most that. of the ride is like, and it was still cool. It's, it's interactive and then you move, but like it, like the E.T. ride, you're like, you know, you feel like you're really moving through a huge space, which you are. And it's, it's fun. I like that. Didn't you take pictures with like Gaston or something? Yeah, I motherfucking met Gaston. <laughs> yeah, I saw that picture of you and Gaston. Yeah, we got it on. He was he was cool, right? He was great. There is some there's some character like dress up dudes that are like really, really good at it, apparently. And I hear he's like one of the best. Yeah, because you can challenge him. Like if you're a guy, he's like not friendly to you. Yeah. And you can like challenge him to like push up contests, which is a great YouTube lookup. Yeah, that's what I've seen before. Yeah, yeah it's really he's funny. It's, they're all charming. Disney's fun, man. It's it's like a good, happy place. <laughs> the alien part of the movie ride scared me when I was a kid. They it got scared rid me of more it. Than any of the alien movies scared me. When they I was got there. rid of it. That ride was terrifying. What they ride got was rid this? of that ride? Yeah, it's awful because that ride, it was you sit down and that they're like... The, Wait, what's it called? Thing that had. It was called Alien the Ride. Oh, okay. No, 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 not that one. 
Which one? I'm talking about the the great movie ride when they go into Alien for like a minute. Oh, at MGM, which isn't called MGM. It's called Hollywood Studios now. I don't know that that's still around. Yeah, that thing always bugged me out. Did you know the Alien, the ride, though? Where you sit down in this chair? Yeah, Alien Encounter. And it gets free and it breathes on your neck and like all of this like, you know, like this like stuff flows on you something now right like lilo and stitch i heard yes lilo and stitch my parents never took me any of this my parents took me to six flags i saw the lethal weapon uh water ride i mean water entertainment thingy that's sweet did you guys ever see that they do they do tricks on the water it's explosions i never went it was amazing we used to go every christmas to disney because it was three hours north of us Mm. and uh, it was three hours north in december so most of my memories of disney or thinking it was very cold there. Which I think in, oh. in like non-Florida terms means what, like 50 degrees? Yeah. You had to wear a, a cardigan. It was probably like 70. <laughs> like 70 and like 55 at night. But like I didn't have, I had like one like red hoodie in the back of my closet and that was it. And I always had to dig it out for the big trip north to Disney. Everybody had a red year. hoodie when they were young. Did you have a yeah. red hoodie, Jenna? I don't know. I had the fuck out of a red hoodie, man. <laughs> I had like, I, I probably said several. I only ever wore it at Disney and the one day that it was like 55 degrees where I was and I didn't go to school that day because it was too cold and I wouldn't go. <laughs> I like dropped and I just wouldn't do it. I had a green hoodie too. I think I had a yellow hoodie, but I think my sister might have had a yellow hoodie. I liked colored hoodies as a child. To bring it slightly on topic. <laughs> Uh, one thing that scared the crap out of me uh, is in the Museum of the Moving Image, which they have, um, they used to have the masks for from altered states when oh, he melts. Oh, shit, yes. Oh, yeah. And they had the exorcist And lady. they had the exorcist chick. Girl, child. And they yeah. have the wolf and wolf. Yes. And they have the- They still have all that. And that Freddy. wolf looks fucking amazing. It does. Can I just say I watched Wolfen? Have, I, have you seen that yet? Oh, you just watched it? I watched it the I've other day it, yeah. and it does not, it did not age well. No. It's where uh, Predator Vision came from. And it also, the the score for um, Wrath of Khan, because James Horner didn't have any time when he was doing Wrath of Khan. It's just the score from Wolfen. Wolfen is such a waste of talent because Albert Finney is great typically, but he just is so, it's like an, such an unappealing character. And then you just feel bad for the wolves. I do like that they I, had actual I wolves think in it. you're kind of supposed to, though. I mean, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. It's a shame to hear it doesn't hold up. There's like, a lot of like, well, there's a lot of bad stereotypes. Bad That's a very VHS movie. Uh, yeah, me. it's just. It, what kind of stereotypes? About, about Native Americans. Oh, yeah, like when they go into it. Yeah, and I like, can see that. All of them, because basically the, the plot of Wolfen is that they're, the, it's like these Native American wolves. They're shapeshifters. Right. Skinwalkers. Or but then they're just, well, they're wolfing is what the, they say in the movie. But um, they, they like, uh, you know, and then they go and kill people and, you know, you just feel bad because the people they're killing are not that great. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I don't know, there's weird stuff like that, that, that wolf vision is really, it's like grating. It's really hard to look at. It's much better in Predator. Yeah. yeah Predator have, did a much better job. Of that. It just seems like something where like they, they thought it was really cool because it was new for the time and they just didn't realize that this isn't going to hold up in like a year's time. Well, and the technique holds up. It's just, you know, the implementation might not have been great. Well, the editing still holds up mad the, well. The editing in Wolfen is really bad, too. It's like about a half hour too long. And like, there's not enough wolves. I want yeah, more I tr- wolves. I tried it maybe a couple of years yeah. back to see how it held up, and I just couldn't get through it. Yeah. And there's a really weird sex scene that, like, you don't even see anything. Yes. It wasn't even like that. It was like, great. Now I can see your tits. Nope. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> have you seen the howling? No. Howling One is the king of the weird werewolf movie sex scenes. Well, this one was just like there. Neither of you seen the Howling? No, I don't think so. And you people are missing the uh, the second tier of eighties werewolf movies. What's the What's the sex on that one? There's like a, a sex scene in the middle of a transformation. Oh wow! <laughs> I got to say 80s, that. So you you really you could do a lot back then, but you couldn't do this. <laughs> so what happens is. It just cuts to silhouettes of them in front of like a fire because they're like outside and it's at a campfire. So it just cuts to like their silhouette and then they do the uh, transformation like in animation. Mm. Do you remember that part of the first Batman movie where he's standing on the roof and he's a cartoon? Yeah. <laughs> There's that shot of like his shadow coming down. Yeah, it's like in... Um, it's the same thing. It's like in Pee Wee's Big Adventure when, when he, he goes into the pitch darkness. 
And he gets yeah. like cartoon white eyes. That scared me. Large oh, Marge. Oh, yeah. Large Marge. There Dude. we go. Bringing it full circle. That scared <laughs> everybody. That moment is is ingrained in the minds of, of youth of our age now. Of uh, You know what I'm trying to say. People that were children when we were children. That's what I meant. Actually, now that I think about it, Predator scared me a lot when I was a kid. Oh, fuck yeah. The bit where he's holding on to the bottom of the log and the Predator is standing on the log. I didn't even get that far as a child. Just the scene where it was all the skinned people hanging from the trees. I was like, I'm out. I'm yeah, good. That was a lot. I'll wait until I'm older. I need hair on my chest for this. I'll revisit. That was me as a youth. Yeah, I watched Wolfen good. because my, the, my parents actually lived right next to where they were shooting that. And then they told me, like, I remember as a kid, because they'd be like, well, we live right there. And then they'd be like, it's too violent. Don't see it. Mm. And I cool. saw it now and I'm like, oh, man, this was terrible. <laughs> Maybe they were just trying to protect you from like a not that good movie. No, I think because... It's a shame to hear it doesn't hold up. I kind of liked it when I was a kid. Now that I think about it, I don't remember anything about it. It, it is violent, but it's like it's the type of thing well like because it's like people's arms getting like ripped off and like heads getting ripped off and brains getting eaten out of their heads but you don't see it like you don't really see it mm. so yeah. it's like that and my mom doesn't like that kind of like she doesn't like like gore so like i can even imagine my mom still thinking it might be a little too violent but i don't know i'm sure that they probably also wouldn't like it at this point do you remember getting scared from like are you afraid of the dark I think I avoided yes. that because they scared the crap. But a couple was, of them were scary. Most of them were like silly, but there were a couple unsettling ones, if I remember correctly. Yeah, but even the ones that weren't scary, you had to run through the gauntlet of the opening credits, which were terrifying. Yes, those opening credits were fucking frightening. They're, I think, like genuinely a masterpiece of credits. Yeah, I would say so. I think I think they hold up to this day, actually. Wasn't there a Goosebumps show? Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, it was terrible. Terrible. What was the one with the sponge under the sink that eats people? That one still scares <laughs> me. I still think about that when I look under the sink. Our boy, uh, Carl Garcia, our, our friend of the show on Twitter, he's been going through the goosebumps on there. He's been, you know, writing funny things as he's been watching them, taking screen caps. So you should check that out, Jenna, and those listening at home. Get that sponge under the sink. <laughs> I don't know if he's up to that one yet. I hope so. There are a few uh, Are You Afraid of the Darks. I think that show really just holds up very well. It does, yeah. As an anthology horror show, I think it's one of the best. There are a few that I think would make great movies if they felt like it. Yeah. You know, Sixth Sense is based on an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode. Oh, shit, really? Yeah. And it's not a good episode. Hmm. I have but, like, I have all of them on like a, back when you couldn't get them, like yeah. a, a burn. Yeah, I had like a, like the thick clamshell bootleg with the really poorly printed out cover. Yeah, it doesn't quite align. Yeah, that was a big hit in college. I remember because I had the bootlegs of them. Everybody always wanted to watch Are You Afraid of the Dark because mm. they were hard to come by. Yeah, they were for for quite a while. I think they might still be. I know they came to like Canada and the UK, the sets of that first. And I was always so jealous. They usually are floating around YouTube. Yeah. I mean, they're always getting pulled and then somebody's putting them back up. What I really it's, wish it's would good. would get like a proper release is Beyond Belief because that's that's one of my favorite anthology shows you know it's not neck and neck with twilight zone by by any means but it's one of the most fun to watch for those of you who don't remember it, it it was five shorts in one episode so each one was like eight to ten minutes and they were so fucking varied and the whole premise was that you had to decide whether they were true or false and like guess and then at the end of the show they would reveal like which ones were made up by the writers and which ones were based on true events yeah. I fucking loved that show. I've seen every single episode because they, they run them on chiller now. So I, I maybe a couple years ago, like I figured out where they were in the order of like the episode sequences. So I would like tape every single one and I would make, well, not tape DVR. And I would make sure that I caught every single one. And I've seen every single episode. I fucking love that show. There's so many bad ones. There's so many good ones. There's so many bad ones that are still good because they're bad. There's so many. It's like a total mixed bag. You'll get like two stories that are about like Jesus and then you get like a fucking scary shit one and then you'll get like another one. Like you never know what the fuck they're going to throw at you. And it's so much fun guessing like which ones are true and false. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of that lately because you've been lobbying for it to be part of my 31 days of YouTube horror. Yeah, I've been sending you a Some couple. Some of them are pretty good. Yeah, did you see that? There's kid? one I really liked. Sorry, which one? Did you see the kid in the closet one? Yeah, that was um, that was pretty good, but it felt front loaded. Yeah, 
You know, like I, I wish they had cut the first two minutes and made the last two minutes longer. That's um, one of my favorites because it's revealed to be true and it really fucked with a lot of people. Like if you go into the YouTube comments, you see everybody who was like, this was so, this scared the shit out of me. Because usually like some of the like really scary ones, they'll say, oh, it's false. We made it up. But this was one that was like, it was such a creepy premise that you just won't really wanted it to be fake. But it was like with everything on that show, they would take things that were like barely like the actual true events and hype it up and like change shit and stuff. So the actual story is kind of different from what actually happened. But, it, you know, they they're just trying to scare you. They're what, just trying to, what's the premise? I don't want to give it away, but because uh, it's only like eight minutes, you know, yeah, it's called the kid in the closet. It's just look YouTube. it up on you YouTube. Kid in the closet. My favorite was one um, that was fake, but it was just like a really good little concept. I really liked it. It was this one about um, a guy who was like really nasty on Halloween to all the kids in the neighborhood. So one day he opens the door on Halloween night to try to scare all the kids outside. And it's just the Grim Reaper standing outside. Yeah. And like during the course of the night, he just keeps getting stalked by the Grim Reaper until it ends like literally probably one third of them end with the person being scared to death. Mm hmm. But yeah, that was just like, visually, I really liked that a lot. Yeah, that kind of got they, used for um, that movie Trick or Treat, kind of similar. Yeah, yeah, thing. I could see that. Yeah. yeah, The costume, I thought, was good. The Grim Reaper costume. I know, I like a good Grim Reaper costume, I have to say. Yeah. I remember in, what was it, like the Muppet Christmas Carol? There was a good Grim Reaper in that. Metropolis has a great Grim Reaper in it. Mm. Swinging the scythe at the, uh, at the end of the movie there. All I can Silent think of is Monty general. Python, where Eric Idle gets taken down to hell, <laughs> and then he sings That's Death. <laughs> Great song. I guess it wasn't yeah. the Grim Reaper and the Muppet one. I guess it was the Ghost of Christmas uh, Past or some Future or something, but he, he looked good, and he was very Grim Reaper-y. Yeah, silent There's films that. do that pretty well. Yeah, right? There's a lot of that just like great, like, you know, like they don't have to justify it in any way the way they do now. Yeah. I think they, they're just more comfortable being like very expressionist that's the, true. the grim reaper at the end of metropolis i think is one of the great horror images i guess it's not at the end now that i think about it but the grim reaper in metropolis you'll know the part when you see it because it's the part with the grim reaper <laughs> <laughs> also the 80s metal band grim reaper very good i love the cabinet of dr caligari but i feel like that's not really it doesn't really scare me but it's just i love how it's done it has that great yeah that's a beautiful movie weimar crazy angles they say the first horror movie in the terms that we call it today where it's like a totally supernatural like survival style thing is dracula in 31 but like i'm not sure i entirely agree with that i mean caligari has all this stuff in it where it's like detectivey and there's this stuff where it's kind of like fantasy instead of horror and like haxon is really more of a fake documentary but i don't know the, the silent stuff when it decided it was going to be spooky really went big yeah it went like operatic about it like well, what's Faust, that, what's that Faust one with is, the clown? Oh yeah, Faust is creepy. What's that silent one with like the killer clown? Um, there's the man who uh, the man who laughs. Is that what you're thinking of? Maybe the one I'm looking who inspired the, the Joker. That's the one about the guy whose face is. It's based on a Victor Hugo book. This guy's face is deformed, so he's always smiling. It's where they they based the the Joker off of him. It could have been that it's a great yeah. little movie. And he wears like a half, like he covers his mouth most of the movie. That, that's a really good movie. No love for Grim Reaper, the 80s metal band. I've never heard them. They have this great song, See You in Hell. It used to get made fun of a lot on Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> it, it's a good All song. Right. Y'all should check it out Doing on this. the YouTube. Fair use. We're playing 10 seconds of that song right now. <laughs> All right. Let me pull it up on YouTube. This is Grim Reaper, See You in Hell, my friend. I love that. I love that scream that he does. That's the greatest scream. That's pretty sweet, actually. Yeah. I was pretty into that. All right. 
Grim Reaper CML. You can hear the rest of the song on YouTube. Why not? It's the spirit of the season. And you can listen to the band Halloween. Y'all should go on yeah. the on the YouTube and listen to Halloween. That's what I do every 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 horror October. I would recommend Electric Frankenstein. Okay. A big Electric Frankenstein supporter. You've been listening to a lot of White Zombie lately, right? I have. I've been spending the past like three days just listening to White Zombie and playing Doom 2. That was also, wasn't that sparked by us watching Lords of Salem? Yes, but I'm crawling my way back to like 1994. Right on. I'm going to get there. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I, I, every Halloween season, it's just like horror punk for me until the end of the world. Oh yeah. A lot of misfits. Damn to the cramps. Yeah. Yeah, Electric Frankenstein. Can't recommend them enough. Right on. They have a cool logo, the Frankenstein, but he's electric. And uh, Alice Cooper, Feed My Frankenstein. Yeah. From uh, Wayne's back, World. The Man Behind the Mask. What did you say? And he's back, The Man Behind the Mask, his song for um, one of the shitty Friday the 13th. Right. What about Monster Mash? Classic. I have that on 45. Nice. nice. Good score yeah. there. All right. We're going to take well, a quick break right now. We'll be back with another question. See you soon. Hello, Smug Film fans. Did you know that Smug Film now has a voice box? Just call the following phone number. 718395-9711 and leave a question or a comment about the show along with your name, and we may play it on a future episode. Thank you for listening, and now, back to the show. And now... Chloe Peltier, reviewing a movie she's seen parts of while working at the theater. In Crimson Peak, the blood is red. And there is red running down the walls, which also looks like blood, but is not blood, it is clay, but it is also red. And there is a lot of blue and white everywhere, from snow. And there is gray from darkness. And there is God rays streaming in from holes in places. And... People wear white and beige and yellow to contrast with the red and the blue. And everybody speaks in enunciated, formal ways because it's the old days. And um, the movie looks okay. I can appreciate it that it has a very intentional style. It kind of reminds me of uh, old school books that I've read like Frankenstein and the illustrations and that, which is cool. It looks like it would be fun to sit down and watch. You can't really take it serious, but I don't think it's meant for that. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. Happy Halloween! Thanks, Chloe. And now, back to the show. All right, and we are back, and uh, we got another voicemail here. Let's listen. Uh, yeah, hi, this is uh, Jenna's friend, Vern. I'm hoping this is, I mean, I think it's the right number, but you guys should really have a something that's like, hey, smoke film podcast. Anyway, uh, so I'm just calling. Jenna gave me the number and is telling me to call and rant about stuff. I don't have a rant. I just saw a double feature at the Castro last night, The Exorcist and the Devil. And I have to say for, you know, The Exorcist is a movie I've seen many, many times, uh, clearly, and seeing it over and over again, I've kind of come to realize that aside from the small dated moments in it, that are mainly uh, sort of set up a period piece feel. You know, the the doctor lights a cigarette when he comes out into the, ho- the hallway of the hospital, like stuff like that, that just sort of happened at the time. But nowadays we're like, whoa. Uh, aside from that, I think it's a flawless movie. I really, and I was kind of amazed at how much I had missed in it, despite the fact that I've seen it so many times, how many moments that compare religion or like, you know, uh, the men in religion to the men in the field of medicine. Unfortunately, it's men, it's the 70s. Uh, and how often they kind of have the juxtaposition of people in, in both realms going like, we know what we're talking about, we know what we're doing, and that there's only one character in the whole movie, aside from Chris McNeil, uh, who is trying to actually, approaching things with a more skeptical view, not of the, uh, the possession, but the detective, trying to figure out what happened to Burt Dennings when he fell out the window. He's the only one who's going like, I have a theory, I have some thoughts, I have theory. You know, everyone else is going like, we know, we know, we know, even when they're completely unsure. And there is a great division that I've never noticed in the movie after 
the spider crawl when Reagan comes down the stairs where it goes black for a very long time. And then after that is sort of into the unknown. And I'm just amazed. This is really more of a rant of how dumb I feel. I'm amazed that I had never seen any of this stuff before, how I'd always just, you know, watched the movie and appreciated it and always loved it, but how brilliantly it's all kind of cut together like that. So if this isn't the podcast, uh, my sincere apologies to leave this message. I'm pretty sure it is. But either way, I just, I want to talk to someone about the exercise, <laughs> basically. So Jenna, give me a call back. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Vern. That voicemail, if you call our voicemail, it's like a very evil computer. Like I told her, I was, she was like, I think I left a voicemail. I'm like, yeah, if it was a bitchy computer, you got it. Yeah, we like our bitchy computer, but maybe we'll put in a special message so people don't think they just called some random bitchy computer. Leave a voicemail. It's like this evil British woman. It is. It's just a default thing on Skype, I guess. <laughs> well, thanks for calling, Vern. Um, I'm way into that voicemail. Vern is great. I yeah, love like Vern. That one, huh? I like that one, too. Yeah, I like that one a lot. You know, I'm number one super goddamn jealous that she got to see the devil. She lives in San Francisco. She goes to the Castro a lot. So if you want to stalk Vern, <laughs> go for it. Yeah. Uh, I love the Castro because they do those great double features. Like, so the devil's an exorcist. That's amazing. First off. And second off, that's, I think it's pretty true is that like a lot of these classic movies, I think, especially horror movies get, um, people forget that there's a plot and they forget that there's a message because they're so focused on the creepiness. And subtext. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and just movies are very different when you're seeing them on the big screen. Too. Yeah. You know, right. Like what you notice is so different. I think things I that are like literally very small gestures, you know, or like big and you can see them. Yeah. I always enjoy movies more, even if I don't like them. I always enjoy them more if I see them on a big screen. Yeah. Exorcist is a great, great one. And I'm glad she likes the detective so much. He's my favorite character. Kinderman. Kinderman. Mm. He, uh, he's so good. It's Lee J. Cobb and that who, um, most people know best for being the dick in 12 angry men. Right. And like what range, man, to be that guy and to be Kinderman and the Exorcist. Mm. Did either of you see um, Exorcist 3? No, I still haven't made my way through the Exorcist uh, sequels and prequels well, don't, and don't reboots. Don't make your way through them. Just, <laughs> okay. Just see 3. What, what makes Two you love 3 so bad. much? 3 is a very good movie. It's yeah. just really smartly done. It's, um, it's very scary and... Um, it's the reason I bring it up is because it's all about the detective, right? He's the lead character in it, but they recast him. It's not Lee J. Cobb anymore. I think he was dead by then. It's uh, George C. Scott in the in the third one. Oh, that's pretty cool, though. Yeah, he's really good, but it's funny because he's he's very different. He um he, he's a little pushier, you know, because mm. it just was like it's a little more like old Patton. It's really good though, but he, he yeah he doesn't have that vibe. Like the the first movie is just so sad. And everybody in it is so sad all the time. Yeah, it's a very melancholy, yeah, depressing film. Third one film. doesn't quite have that, but it's really good. It's it's um it's super creepy, and it it follows the uh, life and times of Detective Kinder Kinderman. Have you seen all of them? Like all the the, the you yeah, know, the recent prequel. Oh lord, yeah. it's it's technically four, but the story is they did um they had Paul Schrader direct Dominion, which was the fourth one. Right. And then when it was done, they were like, oh, this isn't very violent. So they fired him and they reshot the entire movie with Rennie Harlan, who directed Die Hard 2. Mm. Uh, doing it. And they released that one and it was terrible and a big bomb. And then they released Dominion, which was not that good, which was the, the tragedy of it all. Yikes. Everybody was all excited because they thought the, the Schrader one was bound to be, you know, really good after all that shit. And then it turned out just neither of them were. And then there's um, the spinoff Ninth Configuration, which... Is like a cult classic. I'd actually be interested to see what you think of it, Jenna, but I hated Ninth Configuration. Why do you think she'll like it? Yeah. I don't know that she'll like it. I just think it's it's the type of movie you watch. You know, it's it's very um it's like a seventies sort of like out there comedy. Yeah. I think it's it's like in your uh in your sphere. You know, I but the she like the devils is a movie that also I think gets like, you know, kind of bulldozed into being like, well, it was banned or it was, you know, this, they have that whole rape of Christ scene. I think I talked about this once on the podcast, or maybe just, I talk about it all the time <laughs> is that like it got bad movie got banned and is like, you still can barely find it. And it's like, I've never, I'd love to see it on, on a big screen. That'd yeah. be amazing. 
but you know, it's, it's so hard to find. And then it's always this terrible rip of it and bootleg DVDs. Um, maybe they came out with a, a Blu-ray recently. I, but I don't have Blu-ray, but anyhow, there's this one scene in it. That's like, you know, a whole bunch of nuns basically like having an orgy and that scene which quite honestly couldn't doesn't have to be in the movie. It doesn't really add anything. It just kind of is reiterating what's already being told. You know, it's like hammering you over the head with like, no, they're sinners. Like, uh, all right, like right. We, we got it. Cause you can also find the movie without that scene. And then everyone goes hunting for this scene, but it's like not even worth it. Like it's the type of thing that kind of should have been left on the cutting room floor in a way. It just doesn't add to the movie, but that's a, such a great movie. That's also about, you know, talking about, yeah. um, uh, not listening to people and, and also damning women for, for uh, fantasies or, you know, this sort of very male uh, sphere kind of uh, directing people kind of movie. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's fascinating and it's so well done. It's so well acted. It's, it's um, Oliver Reed and, um, yeah, and Vanessa Redgrave. And she's fantastic. I mean, as she is this like hunchback nun and she's just so creepy and she's so, everyone has depth in that movie. Sister but, Jean. But to, to watch it, you know, just for like the, sh- the shock value, you really miss out on what's a great film, which with, I think, Ken yeah. Russell movies, I think a lot of Ken Russell's movies get sort of pushed under for, for the exact same thing is that it kind of is shot in a little bit of a distracting kind of way. And mm-hmm. the, the first time I saw his movies, I thought like, you know, it, it was too much. I thought it was this is so stylized and it just it made it turned me off. I didn't really like it. And then, the, but then I kept thinking about those movies and then I'd go back and then rewatch them and rewatch them. And I was like, oh man, there's so much here. You just have to accept his, like his vision. <laughs> right. Like you can't get caught up on like, well, I don't like that the camera is leading me, like physically leading me through this movie. Like, you know, you, ha- you have to just accept it and see what, what's there because there's just so much depth and layers for all of his movies. Most people are incredibly bad at watching movies. I realize. Yeah. Like mm. if something the least bit unexpected happens to the form of a movie people just are like children like uh, people just can't deal with it like the the the, it's it's almost a literacy thing you know it's like how a lot of people technically know how to read but really like if they're faced with a book that's written for their age level they can't read it right (laughs) i feel like you have the same thing with movies with a lot of people yeah i've always thought a lot of people are just like not capable of watching a lot of movies yeah, I've always thought that film literacy is, is fairly low overall. Yeah. Sometimes it is a director's fault, I, I will say. I think that like but Ken Russell no is a... in The Devils. I mean, that's what he wanted right. to do. The movie he wanted to make was very stylized. Well, but what I mean by fault is that I think that, um, you know, it's like it's like having a font that's a little too small with a, a novel that's a little too thick. Mm, that's it's a, not, that's, I like that as an analogy. I'm going to use that I for other shit. I get what you're saying, shit. and I like your analogy. I don't think it applies to Ken Russell's stuff at all, though. I'm going to steal that for like every movie I talk about ever. (laughs) The point he's trying to make is, is so tied into the visuals and everything. Oh, I I agree. I agree with you. I think that that, but it's, I don't know that, I don't know that people pick up, pick up on that. You know, it's like, it's the same thing. Sometimes someone will look, you know, it's like judging a book by its cover or to continue the book thing is that like, you know, they look at it for five minutes and they're like, ah, I can't get through this. And you can, it's really not that hard. Just like, except like, you know, except that that it's stylized and continue because he's working in your same planet. You know, it's like I sometimes people just I think they, they get worried if it's like not uh, as uh, comfortable as home. They think, oh, I'm yeah, not going to get it. Exactly. Right. And you're yeah. like, no, you'll get it. And it's fine. We're I, all on the same planet. Like, <laughs> I think there's no value to making movies with people like that in mind. Right. Agree. Because all you're doing is just making movies. It's like the same thing with books, you know, like I was reading this interview with the guy who wrote, um, all the light we cannot see, which was the one that won the Pulitzer last year. And he was talking about like, he had to find this balance with like how he was writing because readers now like don't accept lyricism very much. Mm. If something's not moving the plot, if something's just in there, you know, for the sake of creating a rhythm and like imagery and creating like a world, people get real pissy about it because it's a lot of readers don't encounter that ever really because they don't have, they don't broaden their horizons ever. Yeah, that's interesting because, um, you know, the Game of Thrones books are so popular, but the stuff that like the fans are like, oh, it's so it's such a slog, like in the middle of like the series, I think around like book four and they even throw book five in there where they'll just they'll have that that lyricism and they'll go off in 
into other areas with like characters you haven't met and you'll meet those new characters and and fans just like trash that shit like you'll go online yeah. for like the reviews of like book four and you'll see it'll have like two and a half on amazon and it'll just be split right down the middle and they just have no trust in a, in a writer that they even do have trust in because they came that far with you know I think it's because there's just not as much. I mean, it's not that there isn't as much. It's just not as popular or widespread or pop popular. You know, like it's to to publish poetry right now, and especially like that sort of speaking lyrical. Speaking to the yeah. speaking to the guy doing it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Cody has several poetry books published right. that I've not no, read. I think you're totally right, Bennett. <laughs> people people have gotten literally prosaic in how they view this stuff. Right. Like construction and and beauty as a part of the form is something that people in movies and literature just have no capacity for right now. Like if, if a shot like the devil's like, you shouldn't have to justify having really interesting, beautiful cinematography. It shouldn't have to have some thematic hook. It should, you should be able to just, you know, have it and let it stand on its own. Right. But so many people, and it's, it's the comic book thing all over again, where like, what you're looking for is is so different that for a lot of audiences, I think the the idea of um, something in your movie being beautiful or unusual is like something to be tolerated at best. Preach, you know, and it's not the the aim. Well, that's what happened to Spring Breakers, and that's what happened to Lords of Salem. You had yeah. a lot of negative reviews for both of those. That's what happens, I think, to Tommy yeah, versus Quadrophenia. You know, everyone likes yeah. Quadrophenia, it never, despite the fact, and here's what I think is always so funny, is that both of these are both albums by The Who. Yeah. They <laughs> are albums by The Who, and yet there are people that are uh, criticized Tommy. There's like these two camps of Who fans, the ones that love Quadrophenia, the ones that love Tommy, and Quadrophenia, I think, is even wider than the Tommy group because the Tommy group is Ken Russell fans and then like Who fans, you know? And like the Quadrophenia group are yeah. like people that just like, well, it was cool. It told me how to dress or like, you know, well, it just reflected the childhood I, I had or I wanted. Whereas like Tommy is such a crack. It's like insane. It's beautiful. Like this crazy visuals. And it's much closer in my opinion to what you see when you hear this album than, you know, like it's, it's like the sort of like it's moving lyrically. The camera's moving to, to go with the fact that you're listening to a, an opera. You're listening to a rock opera. It doesn't stop. There's no dialogue. It's people singing, <laughs> you know, yeah. accept it. You can't get all like, I don't like singing when you're watching a rock opera. Right. You know, that drives me nuts. Somewhat related. I actually just read the book that inspired the book, The Exorcist. The other day I finished it. Um, Ray Russell's The Case Against Satan, which was like 1955, I think. That's a great title. Yeah. Yeah. The title's better than the book, if I'm being honest. I like Ray Russell a lot. He wrote um, Sardonicus and a few other things that are really good. He was a good like, neo-gothic writer but the whole big thing with this one was that it was the first like scientific possession story and he even talks about all the cases that they talk about in the exorcist you know when they're talking about like the other kid that it was like nine days and then he died and like all the little bits and pieces you hear right in the exorcist and all the other stuff in the exorcist where they're talking about how like you know the the church is very comfortable with schizophrenia as a as a first recourse and all this and that he did it first in satan and it's interesting because you can lay the two books out side by side and they're like identical mm. to the extent that they're both about a new young priest and an old priest doing an exorcism on a teenage girl with a single parent. But like the, um, the tones are completely different. Mm. It's really interesting how different they are because the case against Satan is very analytical and it's very, um, it's like its title. It's very sort of probing. It's, it's a lot of um, debate which is really good and really interesting, but I don't, I don't think it's nearly as good as The Exorcist because it doesn't have just like that weight of, um, you know, like real human sadness that The Exorcist has that I think is such a, a, a key to it. Right. Do you think there could have been like a movie, like wh who, who would direct like a version of uh, Case Against Satan? He never did supernatural stuff, but probably Hitchcock. It feels more like him because ah. it has this, this sort of, um, even when things are falling apart, everybody's kind of poised. You know what I mean? Right. Like nobody loses their heads. And a lot of the, the tension is, is stuff that comes from, um, you know, like waiting for stuff and like worrying about stuff and somebody perceiving something and, and like seeing something through a window the wrong way. You know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's interesting. 
it's a little more like classic um, suspense as opposed to Exorcist was very new Hollywood, like pushy, emotional horror, which is why it's so good. Mm. This sort of goes in the opposite way. It's a, it's a little more um, removed. All right. Well, I think we're going to wrap it up here. Thank you all for listening. We're going to do some, uh, any, any final thoughts? Mm. No? You got nothing final? I'm trying to think of a good horror movie. Well, I'll t- I'll talk about that real quick. I, I've been going through the Legends of Horror DVD set because it's got Mad Love on there, which I love. And I, for some reason, I never watched the other ones on the set because I just love Mad Love so much. But I've been going through, um, there's this one, Mask of Fu Manchu, which I watched recently, which you've seen, John, right? Yeah, I've, I've seen most of the Fu Manchu films. They're very odd. They are very odd. And this was my first uh, foray into Fu Manchu. I've always known of him as a character, but I've never actually watched a Fu Manchu movie. And, uh, you know, it's it's uneven. It's it, Some of it's a slog, but there's some things I like in it. And I think the character of Fu Manchu, because there's so much mystery around him, and of course, it's it, you know, it's the yellow face thing of where you got like a you know, a white actor playing this Asian part. I like to imagine like a backstory of Fu Manchu where he's actually like this English dude that like defected to China and like was real crazy and studied all these things. And he sort of like reinvented himself as like this, this Chinese sort of uh, leader. And when you view it in that context where like nobody really sees Fu Manchu, like very few people ever are in his presence. So like the idea of like him being talked about as like this Chinese dude, this like crazy Chinese dude who'll like kill you and wants to take over everybody. And then like the people that finally meet him, they discover he's like actually like this white dude who's doing all that. Like I like that as like a sort of a made up backstory in my head when I'm watching it. So I enjoyed it with that in my head for some reason just permeating there i don't know like it just like popped right into my head when i was watching like there wasn't anything in the in the plot that was leading that way i just it was a way for my brain to make sense of the yellow face i guess but that's a that's an interesting film because that's a very like progressive film for like a 30s film you have you have black people like these diesel black dudes whipping a white dude in it and you've got fu manchu saying like all right, we got to rise up and take all the white women and get rid of white people. And like, yeah, it's like a black exploitation almost. Yeah, but it's like this like fake Asian British dude and all these like, there's like Indian dudes and black dudes and Chinese dudes and they're all getting together and they're like, we got to get rid of white people. It's pretty, pretty incredible to see that in, in such an early film. There's a lot of surprises in that era of horror. I mean, I've been saying it since the beginning of the podcast, I think. The smartest things people can do is go back to the, the early years and see what's out there. Because yeah, they were man. trying stuff in the teens, the 20s, and the 30s that nobody ever tried again. That's one that's been, I guess, a really good appetizer for me, that uh, Mask of Fu Manchu on, because it's really opened my eyes to, you know, how... I mean, it's so 70s. It's so fucking 70s, that 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 premise. And yeah. it's, it's just amazing to see that in the 30s. Also, one that I checked out that not a great movie great moments that I really enjoyed was a uh, market of vampire, which is notorious for having like one of the worst twist endings of all time. Like yeah, a, twist, that was a bad one, a twist ending that makes no sense. And everybody who talks about the film hates it. There's very few people who actually like that film in full, but there are some genuinely good moments in it. There's a great part that's just dying to be like a gif on the internet that made me laugh right out loud you got a Dracula dude walking down a corridor and then it cuts to like, you know, big spider crawling up the wall and then it cuts to like bugs running across the floor and then it cuts to a fucking possum peeking around the corner. Just like looking to see what's up. (laughs) Just a little possum peeking around the corner. It's fucking amazing. I love that little possum, dude. I grabbed a (laughs) screenshot of it. I was posting that. Love that little possum, dude, because it's like all these like scary, you know, supposedly scary animals. And then you just got a little possum dude peeking his head and he's got like a smile on his face. And he's kind of like, it's like when somebody walks into like a scene and they don't realize that somebody's filming and they like smile nervously. It's that kind of possum smile. And it's got to be like a taxidermied possum that they just kind of moved in with their hand or something. It's a great moment. And also another amazing moment which 
immediately makes this one of the best movies ever made, even though, of course, it's not. But um, early on in the film, there's a, you know, a standing knight armor in the corner of a room and they hear something going on with it. They're like, there's like banging around in there and you expect like there to be like somebody, some dead body in there that's alive now or like spiders in there or something to get you. And then the faceplate opens and the adorable kitty cat crawls out. And it's one of the greatest shots ever in cinema. Oh, I saw that. You put it yeah, on Twitter, right? Yeah, because yeah. when do you see a cat crawling out of a knight armor thing? <laughs> it's amazing. I love that. I mean, certain things like that can just elevate a movie. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't care about the rest of the movie. That happened in that movie. And that was enough for me. And I'm sated. By God, I'm sated. And so I enjoyed that very much. Nice. All right. I finally thought of a a horror suggestion. This is, I guess, a slightly obscure one. It's called The Sorcerers. It came out in 67. It has Boris Karloff in it. And this is like a weird, it's this weird, it's very 60s. Very 60s. Is that the one where everybody's mod? Everyone's very mod. But there's like, is is there like um, ESP in it? Like mind control? Yes. They build a mind control machine. Yes. Which is all like liquid light looking. It's like really like, it's like such a 60s. Like the whole thing is so 60s. I got some for you. You know who wrote that movie? I just discovered on the internet. Who? Tom Baker. The fourth doctor. The same one? Yeah. Tom Baker. But I just feel like there's a lot of people named Tom Baker in it, England. That's what Google said. <laughs> Google said it's the same Tom Baker. That's amazing. That's Isn't actually amazing? hilarious. That's so cool. I saw that movie in an, an anthology. Oh, no, never mind. It's, different it's a Tom different Baker. one. It has God to be. damn it. Yeah. Come oh, on. Lord. This is England. Everyone's named Tom Baker. That almost was an amazing piece of trivia. But what's really, I, what I kind of liked about this movie, which honestly, it's, it's close to being kind of MST3K fodder. It, it's, it's very like, it's not well acted. Um, the special effects are really silly. Well, except except for Karloff. Karloff's fine, but um, you know, fun in those like '60s paycheck goofy ones. What What's interesting is that it's these. It's basically the plot is this this old couple kind of kidnaps a younger, good looking man, and they mind control him, and then they control him like a doll, and then what they make him do is like go kill women. So. But then like the sort of twist is that basically the it was meant to be so that the husband could experience youth again, except that the wife gets really into it. So she starts to just really love being this uh, attractive man and killing all these girls. And it's an interesting almost like I don't even know if it's intended like sort of commentary on on gender and, uh, you know, and power. And I mean, like. Because the kind of the way that they show it in the movie is that she's like an, an evil old hag who's jealous of of these like younger women that right. are better looking. But really what it kind of feels like is like, no, this is like her one time that she can have some power to like, you know, like, no, I'm in charge. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's interesting. But for the most part, it's a very silly movie. But I would still recommend it if you can find it. The Sorcerer's 67. Right on. His late career masterpiece was um, Targets, the Bogdanovich one. Oh, Which I haven't I seen that one before where, um, oh, it's tremendous. I think it's my favorite Bogdanovich. Did you hear Bogdanovich it's, on uh, Mark Marin? No, it's, I haven't heard that yet either. It's yeah. good one. It's not that it's not that new anymore. I don't think, but it's pretty good. Scope that out. Let's check that out. He talked about targets. He goes through his whole career. Targets was interesting. It was, um, it was his first, it was when he was still working for Roger Corman. So it's probably like top two or three movies to come out of the, the Corman studio. Mm. And it was right after Charles Whitman and, and that whole, horrible thing so it like it's this movie about an old horror movie actor and a young like real life sniper murderer so it's this great like moment in time where um you had these like old gothic horror movies like what i was talking about with night of the living dead where night of the living dead is the first horror movie that's scary in the sense that it's you know like in your face and in your time yeah um this was the same year and it's all about like the old horror movie monsters ceasing to be what's scary anymore. Mm. Actually, it's a he, really interesting movie. He does talk about that. I, I would suggest everyone actually listen to that Mark Marin and Bogdanovich yeah, thing man. because he talks about that movie and how basically like they had like it was like that movie was like a hodgepodge of two different films that they stitched together. Yeah, they were they were cutting together pieces of the terror, which yeah. was about the French Revolution, and Jack Nicholson is in it. That's the movie within the movie that they're making in Targets. Yeah, there's a good story behind that. 
Yeah, we'll have to listen to that episode. Check that out. Plug in you, Mark Marin. You better come on our podcast. Yeah, come now. on. Or or Peter. <laughs> yeah. We'll get Or Obama. Yeah, or Obama. Yeah, come on, Obama. Jeez. When's when's Obama gonna do the the smug film podcast? <laughs> Ask him what his favorite president movies are. That would be a great episode. Maybe he likes the Gabriel in the White House one, the, the smug film favorite. The president's yeah, analyst. Man. You guys see that? That's a good sixties weirdo movie. I haven't seen no. that one. Scope that out. Gonna save that one for Obama. What about <laughs> what about Dave or uh an American president? Dave Obama. Or uh what was it? Brother? What was that one where it was about like the pig that becomes president? Was it called like Gordy or something? I think I got the plot wrong just then. <laughs> but I know there was a nineties movie called Gordy. I think a pig meets the president. There were a lot of meets the president movies in the nineties. You got Forrest Gump and he meets a president. I think I swear to you, a pig met the president in a film. I think it was called Gorky or Gordy or This is like the last thing you say before they haul you <laughs> off to the old folks home. I swear. <laughs> a pig met the president. <laughs> I'm telling you, it happened. Thank you all for listening and happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Okay, that's enough of that. <laughs>